Arizona, briefly. Landed away to Tacoma, Philadelphia, Atlanta, L.A. Landing in a plane, getting a rental car, and going somewhere else to visit my parents, my kids' grandparents. But um, it's hot in Phoenix in August. I don't know if you're aware of this. We used to be on the air in Phoenix. We were for a cup of coffee, but uh, we're not now. So No hotter than, say, a preheated oven. Well, right. So I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, apparently, the people of Phoenix even think it's hot. So we we stopped. <laughs> we stopped to hot get, for Phoenix. Yeah, we stopped to get gas on the way to the airport. You know, to fill up the rental car before they took it back, so they don't charge you forty dollars a gallon for gas or whatever. Right. Yeah. But um, stopped this gas station. and We got out of the car. And it was like, oh my! We hadn't been out of the car since we left the mountains, where it was like sixty-eight. Oh yeah. And then we got out of the car a couple hours later and opened the doors. It was just like it was like being in an oven. And uh, anyway, so, uh, and we were talking about it, and we walked out of the convenience store. Couldn't find any healthy food for the kids. You can't get healthy food at a convenience store. Durr. For a variety of reasons, we're running late to the airport, which is one of my least favorite uh, feelings on earth. But uh, everybody was hungry, and we couldn't find anything. So they're eating Oreos for lunch, which oh, is just a fantastic move. Nice parenting. I know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so rock- How about hummus or cottage cheese? No? <laughs> Pringles. Hey, kids. Got you some cottage cheese <laughs> in the hot sun. <laughs> delicious, delicious cottage cheese. Um, so anyway, I'm walking to the car, and there's a guy. I uh, He's got Arizona plates, so I thought he's local. I said, well, it's nice and warm here. He said, God, it's just unbelievable. I said, I'm not from here. He said, I've lived here my whole life, but this is unbelievable. Wow. And I thought, okay, so you live here, and you still think it's hot. And then, um, uh, so where I was going we're, we're on the plane with a whole bunch of people left Phoenix, and they announced where I was going that it was going to be 96 or something when we landed. And everybody said, oh, thank God. Yeah. 96 is oh, thank God wow. from a group of people that got on a plane wow. in Phoenix. Eh, I guess you get used to it or something. Uh, well, apparently not, talking uh, to the guy from Phoenix. No, you hate it, but, you know. You're, well, you, you live just, there, sure. It's yeah, like you deal with it. I'm North so Dakota pr- in the winter or something. You know, I've, I've been crafting phrases for a living for quite a long time now, and... Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes they're a little flowery. I think the one that may stick, uh, I was so gratified. Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, texted me the other day when it was just unbelievably hot in Phoenix. And he said, every time it's like this, I think of what you said. It's like something's gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There are days in the summer, like. it feels like something has gone wrong. That's true. You don't just think it's hot. Right. I had a When I opened the doors, I had a feeling of... Just a little bit of, you know, this is a crisis that needs to be managed. We need to get away yes. or, or the something. The world has slipped out of its orbit <laughs> and has gone closer to the sun than it's supposed something to. Something terrible is happening. Or happened. the oceans have dried up and now the temperature will increase until we've baked. But the only reason I brought this up, I don't mean to get off on a tangent on how hot it is in Phoenix. Everybody knows that. Um, uh, went to see my, my parents, which I see one or two days a year, really, and have for a long time. My kids, their grandkids... See him a couple of days a year. And my oldest son was really sad on the way home. I mean, he was really oh. bummed that we were leaving. Yeah. And uh, and just, you know, this is the way I've crafted my life. And if, if you have crafted your life in a, in, a, in a way where you get to see your relatives on a regular basis, your kids grow up around their grandparents and, and, and cousins, geez, be thankful for that. Of course, you might think, yeah, I did that on purpose, you idiot. And you didn't, you idiot. <laughs> so... Boy, that's a funny coincidence. I was talking to Little D about a similar topic. She's home from college uh, just for about a week and a half, and um, 
She uh, she knows a handful of people who've never been, you know, more than 75 miles from where they grew up or never lived anywhere, never would, and the rest of it. That's and the most common she thing. She can't believe people live their lives like that. Well, I think can't imagine I it. think that's the most common way to live. Is it these days? Oh, probably, absolutely probably so. is these days. Yeah. I think it's been for quite a while, but yeah. it, it, you know, all the statistics show people aren't moving uh, aren't moving around. They're less likely to be mobile than they've they maybe have ever been. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, that's very, very common. My brother and all his friends, no, he, he can't, my brother said the other day, he said, I can't imagine why I would ever leave Ellis County. Mm. Like, even on a vacation. He says, I see no reason to ever go anywhere. Wow. And, and everybody he hangs out with feels the same way. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. the upside of being around your friends and family is no minor thing. No. And at the end of your life, yeah, that's uh, something you ought to factor in. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Get out of the rat race. Squeak, squeak. So anyway, back to the convenience store. I found myself wondering, and it was funny because we were just talking about the media and and angst and anger and the outer 10% controlling the conversation. And and I'm wondering why it's gotten so fevered when, by a lot of measures, uh, the country's in really good shape. You know, I get the uh, income inequality thing, and, and some of those statistics are pretty troubling, the CEO pay and the rest of it. Um, but... You know, the economy's good. Unemployment's pretty low. Housing's super pretty expensive. Pretty low for a lot of segments of society. It's the lowest it's ever been. Right. There are a lot of reasons. We are not in a major war. We're in a bleeding us slowly conflict or six around the world. But by a lot of measures, things are really, really good. So why is everybody so fevered? And and the- Social media? I don't know. Well, that could part actually of it. be. I, well, yeah. Getting back to the convenience store, do they have no healthy foods because they're insidious, or because when you put them out there, nobody buys them? Yeah, because people want crap. Right. You know, I think the media landscape has changed a ton. We we've gone from the big three networks and uh, two or three newspapers in your really big cities. Certainly, one big newspaper that's thriving in every town in America, down to a town of five thousand people. Um, to just brutal competition for your eyes and ears uh, among 175 different uh, news sources. and I've got some data on that, the disappearing local news scene and how dangerous that is for America. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, so uh, I find myself wondering, do we not want, uh, you know, broccoli? Or uh, is that the problem in terms of the media and our information? Is who I think it's probably, like most things, multiple factors, but... I think human beings have a strong tendency toward conflict and and fear. That's what we can't look away from. And you have desperate news media competing, fighting tooth and nail to get your attention, and they know what you want, which is conflict and fear. And so I think we've got this vortex of, of fever pitch, hair on fire, public discourse. Would anything realistically make us happy? Me? As a country. Oh. Where we wouldn't be, uh, you know, at each other's throats. and I'm not sure there is such a thing. Well, I'll tell you this, you know, getting back to your, your brother who doesn't want to leave his county, et cetera, et cetera. Those who check out of this quote-unquote conversation, which isn't a conversation at all. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> seem to be quite placid yeah. and cheery. Yeah. Which would be evidence that it is not their circumstances, it is not our circumstances that have us whipped up into a fever pitch. It's this whirling vortex of hate. Yeah, but everybody checking out of the conversation that isn't a conversation is not going to lead good places once the uh, people in power figure out nobody's paying attention. Right. 
Well, actually, you know, it could be argued that all this fever pitch screeching at each other is great cover for yeah. Yeah. Uh, the powerful to get away with all sorts of nefarious stuff. Oh, I actually have a couple of good examples of that. But um, uh, Yeah, and I want to talk about this um, uh, new columnist for the New York Times. She's actually going to be on the editorial board. And some of the things she said about white people in tweets, and she gets to keep her job, and is that, you know... Race hate is okay, Jack, as long as it's stupid, stupid white people. Well, there is a belief that there's no such thing as prejudice against white people. You can't do it. It's impossible because they've had so much power for so long. A notion so insane it could only come from academia. And the assassination attempt on the Venezuelan president. Drone attack. Well, and the best part was the way the, the, way the military ran away. I'm out! <laughs> The best part of the video is the way the military ran away. You'd hope that's not what would happen if somebody tried to attack our president ever. Everybody in the Marines just runs away from the noise. (laughs) Anyway, stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. will fit together. There's a column in the New York Times over the weekend by somebody who apparently is somebody. Um, The Democratic Party picked an odd time to have an identity crisis. Can its unruly coalition take shape against Trump without one wing wing taking over? Oh, yeah, I saw that. I see where you're going. And it's kind of interesting, but but anyway, it got into the data of um, uh, how many white votes are still, you know, out there. Well, you do the various identity politics. Um, the 2016 election, which for some reason is the most late, the latest data we have. I don't know why, but uh, 2016, uh, 74% of all voters were white in 2016. 74%, three quarters of all the votes were white people. Even for Democrats, 60% of the Democratic Party is white. So that's a lot of white people. You certainly can't discount the white vote if three quarters of all voters are white. Right. Um, and of course, uh, I would like to uh, stop the conversation and point out how unhealthy and sick it is to group people by race in terms of voting. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It de- it definitely is. But, in a well, diverse society. It, it fits in with this story. So the New York Times hired uh, this uh, young Asian woman. or She's actually been around the New York Times for a while, a while but they're putting her on, her on the editorial board, which is a pretty big deal because... What the New York Times editorial board puts out regularly is, uh, you know, gets a lot of attention around the world. And somebody went back and found some of her old tweets. That's a, a thing right now, right? And we've seen that with baseball players specifically recently. Yeah. A lot of athletes where they go back through their tweets and, and find things that they said, and then you're you got to answer for them or whatever. But here, here are some of her old, old tweets. Dumbass effing white people marking up the Internet with their opinions like dogs pissing on fire hydrants. Um, I'm going to save the best with the one that gets the most attention for, for, for last. And that's I, some good good planning. I dare you to get on Wikipedia and play things things white people can definitely take credit for. It's really hard. Uh, it goes on and on. I'll just jump to this so we can get into the conversation. Give us a few. Oh, Come man, on. it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. That one's getting the most attention, obviously. Mm. 
Anyway. Uh, the only value, I think, in reading them all would be to point out that this is a theme she hits again and again and again. Hashtag cancel white people. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? There are, geez, I don't know, right here on this one page, there are probably 20 or so along those uh, lines. White people have stopped breeding. You'll all go extinct soon. That was my plan all along. Some sort of smiley face emoji. Um, And I actually heard this quote from, they were quoting someone else, a name I did not recognize, that you can't logically be prejudiced or bigoted toward white people because white people have had all the power, their words, not mine, yeah. for so long. And the, the New York Times got some blowback for hiring this woman, specifically putting her on the editorial board, which is a big deal, as I said. Um, but they, they are going to go ahead and stick with it. Mm. And it's, uh, well, not only, I was going to say it's hard to imagine. It's not hard to imagine. It's impossible to imagine Anything along those lines about any other group in which you would get, continue to have your job in any industry, right? You just you just would you'd be done. The idiocy of that opinion astounds me. It, it requires so much ignorance that virtually everywhere on earth, at every moment of history, um, those who have had power act in similar ways. You know, um, and that <clears throat> the the point. I mean, if you go to, uh, you know, one of your African republics where the uh, colonial white people have been kicked off the land, et cetera, et cetera, the black majority, blah, 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 um, there's there's tremendous discrimination and cruelty and bizarre laws and, and racism and the rest of it going in the other direction. And the idea of this country, which has been imperfect and has been evolving for a very long time, is that we don't do that and we shouldn't do that. And to the extent that we do do that, base things on race. Uh, the legislature and the courts and the, and our our uh, moral leaders step in and they stop us from doing that because it always leads to the same place, which is uh, horrors. Um, and so the idea that uh, no, but it's okay because in this geographic location, for a very limited time historically speaking, the racial uh, you know power balance has been X, Y, and Z, and so therefore it's okay. I mean, you God dang it, that's stupid. So it gets even more interesting in that the pushback against this and vox did a whole piece on this saying the controversy and they use quotes around controversy as in it's not really a controversy yeah over journalist uh sarah yong is that the way you pronounce her name joining the new york times explained and their thing is that the new york times found a way to shut down the bullying tactics of the alt-right in which the alt-right goes back through people's tweets or uh texts or whatever Facebook and tries to discredit them and that she was just responding to all the racist hate she was getting from racists. Mm. So that's what, what what she was doing. Yes. Her, her explanation is, quote unquote, I was counter trolling. I was right. trying to adopt their language and explode, blah, blah, blah. But that's what she says now. But even if that's the case and it might have been, it still gets down to the so it's OK to do that because you wouldn't be able to use that excuse for any other group. Right. You would never get away with saying, yeah, well, racist Hispanics were saying this about me. So I said, I'll sure be glad when all Hispanics die out. Right. That's my, and I'm fine getting to say that because they started, that would not work with any other group. Let me read you something very brief from that Vox piece because I think it's uh, it's worth actually quoting it. She is an outspoken progressive and feminist, making her an obvious target for the right-wing internet mobs that have been especially active of late launching organized smear campaigns against left-leaning celebrities by weaponizing their old jokes and tweets. 
Well, there are two problems with that. Number one, uh, both sides do that all the time, which can vo- which Vox conveniently ignores. Um, you know, they're pretty far left, and they get to be. Um, but th- the other part that bothers me is just it is absolutely such a clear example of we judge the others, the other side, by the worst among them, and our side by the best of our intentions. And it's just such an obvious bit of that. Either well, then you can't demonize people on the other side who make jokes and tweets that are years old or Roseanne Barr who's obviously a dope but nobody has ever at any point in her long career accused her or found her guilty of any sort of racism and yet because she thought Valerie Jarrett was white and made an idiotic uh, Planet of the Apes joke now she's persona non grata and can never work again I thought the was white. So I understand. I, I would let her work because of that tone of voice. Because that's yeah, a, that's a, a mental patient. What a lovely singing voice she must have. Uh, the, the 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 particular one. It's a. It's kind of sick how much enjoyment I get out of uh, whatever she said, making fun of old white people. Mm, yeah. Um. Is that's that you, you shouldn't be able to get away with that and be on the editorial board at the New York Times. That is that's that's just not cool. It's some pretty questionable judgment, and I wish I remembered because I was on vacation, so I was taking in all this news, but not taking notes. It was on a it was on a real uh, a, a national platform where I heard somebody make the statement. Of course, blah 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 believes there's no such thing as discriminating against white people by definition, and nobody on this group of people having a discussion around a desk jumped in and said, "Well, that's crazy." Uh, nobody. That was just, or, or how about res- let's get results oriented. That sort of uh, identity politics and race based resentment will lead only to one place, and that is anger, hatred, and violence. That's why Martin Luther King was so uh, uh, big on the you know not the color of your skin and nonviolence, et cetera, et cetera. It, this stuff will only lead to one. Place and Kamala Harris over the weekend saying people who use the term identity politics are the racists. They're denying that they're legitimate. Blah blah blah. So she's denying that there's anything wrong with that at all. And indeed, that even to point out that I'm troubled by this trend in politics is in itself racism. Where do you think that's going to lead us? Yeah, it's interesting. I think about from uh, Christopher Hitchens, who I really liked, who's a socialist and lefty his whole life. But when he said he would, when he was out of the, when he had to get out of the the, the new left and stay with the old left, was when identity politics. He said, "Your being is your politics. That's your argument. Who you are. That's yeah. your argument. I want arguments yeah. about various things." And I thought the whole uh, thing about racism is that an individual is not his or her race. They're an individual. And should be judged as some little kid is born white and therefore must bear the weight of history. That's absurd and racist. Don't never, ever trust whitey. That's what she's saying. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, President Trump sending pundits into a frenzy with his rally comments about the Russian investigation. And your beard can make you sick. And yes, this is an FM story. Did you say beer or beard? Beard. Okay. (laughs) Poopy beard. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. So we got a guest coming up in a little bit from the uh, Washington Post. 
Donald Trump tweeted a couple of things about that meeting, the famous meeting that Don Jr. was at, and that could cause some problems. We're going to get into that. Marshall's got some of that in his news to help set up our conversation. It's all coming together. With Aaron Blake, which uh, actually for the first time, maybe ever, I actually think there could be some trouble for at least one of the Trumps in this. Stay tuned. Right now, the news with Marshall Phillips. Well, a couple of the dust-ups over the last few days. Thursday's surprise White House briefing on the election security efforts featured an all-star cast of top administration officials. One by one, each laid out what his or her agency was going to do to defend the 2018 midterm elections. Yeah, we just stumbled across that on Thursday morning as we were heading out the door. And there was uh, there was John Bolton coming out. Right. And then you had the FBI director and Homeland Security and everybody. Right. They, they laid out in detail how big a deal this is, the Russians trying to hack into our election system. Direct- this was the Trump administration. Yes. Well, and, and at, as we now note, at Trump's directive, he told mm-hmm. them to go out and put on this, this full-on show about how, how bad this is. Director of National Security Dan Coats was uh, among them. In regards to Russian involvement in the midterm elections, we continue to see a pervasive messaging, messaging campaign by Russia to try to weaken and divide the United States. Then a few hours later, President Trump was at a rally in Pennsylvania telling the crowd, In Helsinki, I had a great meeting with Putin. We discussed everything. I had a great meeting. I had a great meeting. We got along really well. By the way, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. Now, we're being hindered by the Russian hoax. It's a hoax, okay? I'll tell you what, Russia's very unhappy that Trump won. That I can tell you. So that is being... But I got along great with Putin. So that is being presented, I guess, by you and everybody else as a giant conflict. I don't see that at all. That doesn't seem like a conflict at all to me. He's talking about the investigation of collusion, which is a hoax as far as I can tell. And is a witch hunt, as far as I can tell. And the stuff in the morning about Russia's trying to dick with our elections is absolutely true, and Trump is behind it. I don't see that as a contradiction at all. I, I just wish he would go to the trouble of enunciating I it wish he would once too. in a while. Will, and I wish the media would. I wish the media all weekend yeah. long would not say, and then a couple hours later, he says it's a witch hunt. No, he, you know he was talking about the part that affects him. He's so selfish and self-centered, he's only talking about the part that affects him. Well, Do you think in the he left- knows the difference? Or is he just conflating well, him as well? Well, he has to. He's, he conflates he? it the, the way the... Well, yes, because he's instituted mass... Are, have you been listening? He trotted out the entirety <laughs> of his cabinet yep. to talk about countering Russian interference. I want to hear it from him, though. I don't... Well, yeah, yeah, like I said, that would be helpful. I don't understand why we keep talking past right. each other, the media and him, why we can't come to some sort of an agreement and at least one side take a moment to point out that there's two different things going on. Because both have been engaging in the Neither same thing. Neither side right? points out that there's two things going on, and it drives me crazy. So you're looking for the truth. <laughs> no, one's a profit center, the other's an egomaniac, and it's good luck getting what you need from either one of them. I, I mean, do think he's more concerned about one than the other, which uh, I wish wasn't the case. Sure, the whole legitimacy of his election thing obsesses him. Meanwhile, another brouhaha. 13 months ago, President Trump was saying his son, Donald Jr., met in 2016 at the Trump Towers with a Kremlin-connected lawyer to primarily discuss the adoption of Russian children. Now Trump is saying the meeting was to collect information about his political opponent. Trump tweeting on Sunday, fake news reporting a complete fabrication that I am concerned about the meeting. My wonderful son Donald 
had in Trump Tower. This was a meeting to get information on an opponent. Totally legal and done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. I did not know about it. So now a lot of people are saying, why did he send that uh, tweet out? So what, you know, what problems does that uh, give the Trump administration? We're going to talk to a Washington Post reporter about that coming up. We forgot to use our new intro for uh, for Marshall Phillips. That comes the from fake, fake, disgusting news. <laughs> that comes from a Trump rally. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so, and then we've got this in Russian news. Steven Seagal has been named the Russian diplomat to the United States as of yesterday. Wow. Steven Seagal, the action movie star who's now not a roundhouse kick. He's round as a house. It's going to be some ass-kicking, jaw-breaking diplomacy. <laughs> Stephen Seagal is actually a special representative on humanitarian issues to the United States. Also coming up, for the first time in over a year, I have ranked the Trumps for you. <laughs> All of the Trumps in order of excellentness. Does Melania fit in there? Stay with us. Okay. Meanwhile, a new breathalyzer can detect both alcohol and THC. It has been developed by California-based Hound Labs and can detect marijuana use over the previous two hours. That is a huge improvement from other tests for potential impairment, which often can't tell if the marijuana was used recently or days ago. Well, but, which it, is everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> has, haven't employers wanted this forever? Or I no. guess I guess a lot of employers don't want uh, you to have smoked dope a month ago or an hour ago. Right. But uh, yeah, employers need this too because to me, if Obviously, if it's legal, having a whiz quiz, that means you can't work when you just came off a vacation and you smoked weed a week ago, so you're not allowed to be at work today seems crazy for a legal product. Sure. Um, but if you were smoking weed two hours ago, maybe right. you don't want them to work. I don't know. And, you know, THD uh, will stay in uh, in your body uh, for a month. So uh, Right. You know. Are we going to have a zero-tolerance policy for driving, or have we come up with some sort of .08 or something? Well, see, there's still no uh, unified legal standard as to how much THC makes someone impaired behind the I'm wheel. I'm just stoned. Now, if, with being a breathalyzer test, does this only detect if you took it orally? Like, if I were to inject it, like a lot of the kids are doing. I think that's how the kids are doing it now. They inject, inject the weed. Yeah. <laughs> you um, use a suppository, don't you? Yeah, or, yeah, that's another way, right? Jam it up, marijuana yeah. suppository. Or, you know, there's there's various ways to ingest it without actually smoking it. I'm wondering if this detects those as well or what, what sort of it's, testing it's, it's I using. I think it's THC in the blood. Isn't it, or is it? Well, it's or? a breathalyzer. It's a breathalyzer. It's not a blood test. Well, well how could that be, though? I don't know. Well, I'm not Does a scientist. Does THC express itself in your breath? Am I wearing a white lab coat? I don't know <laughs> this. You're clearly not. That's proof. Anyway, I think number... you're just high and paranoid about how they're going about this. Probably. Uh, a number of uh, police departments uh, around the West are going to be uh, starting to uh, use this device and test it, is, it out later It is this something year. they got to figure out. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it, it comes with the territory of legalizing marijuana, doesn't it? There you go. That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips here. I'm starting a Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Or is it, and will it continue to be much like, you know, prescription drugs or, or pills or what have you? Uh, this segment's for you, Tiger. Um, that if you're driving erratically or badly and you've been smoking at all, that's proof that you smoke too much. Mm. How come we don't do that from, uh, for booze? Because we've got a way to measure it objectively, I guess. Uh-huh. 
Uh, so, Washington Post reporter, uh, two problems that Trump caused for himself with his tweets over the weekend. I see. I, I looked at that. I think one of them is a problem. The second one, not so much. But anyway, we'll talk to Aaron Blake of the WAPO coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Start spreading the news. So it's the, mu- the music, Michael. Is this because it was a New York uh, meeting? Yeah, Trump Tower. Trump Tower day. meeting. Wow. Gotcha. Um, coming up for the first time in a year plus, I have re-ranked the Trumps. You've re- <laughs> I remember when we were at the convention, Joe was constantly re-ranking the Trumps based on their speeches. And their awesomeness. <laughs> or lack thereof. Is uh, well, we'll talk about it in a little bit. So, um, uh, we talked. We just did in the news with Marshall Phillips the the tweet over the weekend from Trump, in which he he basically the the story now being, yeah, it was a meeting to get dirt on Hillary Clinton, but there's no problem with that. And is, does that cause a problem for this whole investigation? Fake news reporting a complete fabrication that I am concerned about the meeting with my wonderful son Donald had in Trump Tower. This was a meeting to get information on an opponent, totally legal, done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. I did not know about it. That is the tweet. We're joined now by Aaron Blake of the Washington Post, who's written a piece about some of the uh, repercussions of that tweet, possible repercussions, and he joins us now. Hello, Aaron. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Terrific. Thanks very much. So uh, you see hazards in this tweet. Uh, What sort? Yeah, potentially. You know, so it was about a year ago, last July of 2017, in which we learned about this whole thing. Uh, We learned about uh, the explanations falling apart rather quickly. We learned about uh, the White House and and, uh, Trump's lawyer talking about how the president was not involved in this initial misleading uh, response to the Trump Tower meeting. We now know a lot more than we did back then, and uh, I think it's notable that even as the president has talked about, you know, it's not bad to get opposition research, it's not, you know, this is how the way things are handled in politics, this is the first time where I think he's explicitly said that the purpose of this meeting was to get opposition research. That was what, what this was about, and so I think the upshot of that is, you know, this is something that could be litigated in an obstruction case. It could be litigated when they maybe interview the president about this whole thing. But he's conceded that point now. He said that this meeting, the purpose of it was uh, what some people believe to be collusion. Yeah, so that was a, a change in, you know, what he says the meeting was about. What I haven't been able to keep straight from the beginning is what things he has told you know, various law enforcement agencies, perhaps under oath or you're, you know, lying to the feds or he's told the media, which he gets to lie to the media. Politicians lie to the media and all of us all the time. And, you know, that's not obstruction, is it? Well, yeah. So here's here's what I'll say about that. The the president's lawyer, Jay Sekulow, was on the Sunday shows yesterday and he I watched that. made the point that what's that? I watched that. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, he said basically that, you know, while there may have been bad information about all of this that that came out publicly initially, they've been uh, forthcoming with the special counsel. We've actually seen the memo that they sent about this in which they acknowledged that that the president dictated a short statement about this. Um, So I think perhaps, you know, legally speaking, they have been forthcoming, at least eventually, uh, with the special counsel's office. 
That said, if you look back at the Starr report in the 1990s, part of the case against President Clinton was not just that he lied under oath, that he made misleading statements, but also that he lied to the American people, that he said things publicly that were not true and that basically uh, uh, covered up this whole thing. So that in and of itself may not be, you know, obstruction of justice to lie to the American public, but it can certainly be a part of an obstruction case, which is what we saw in in the Star Report. You know, I think I understand your piece a little better now, Aaron. You're pointing out, you're approaching this not as a Supreme Court justice, but um, pointing out that this could certainly be a political liability, keeping in mind that an impeachment, for instance, is a political procedure. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, okay, interesting, interesting, good point. Aaron Blake of the Washington Post is on the line. Uh, the the part about the purpose of the meeting, um, it, it seems to me pretty clear that uh, the Russian lawyer gal, who is plainly one of Putin's goons, uh, called the meeting claiming to have great dirt on Hillary. Then uh, I buy the explanation that she then then it quickly became clear that her concern was the Magnitsky Act, which has something to do with the adoption of Russian children. In other words, she said, oh, I've got great dirt on Hillary, then got in and started lobbying and had no dirt on Hillary. Is that a problem, really, legally speaking? Is, is there any Espionage Act being violated? Well, I would I would think that if uh, Ms. Veselnitskaya were... Uh, you know, to be in the United States again, there might be certain people who want to question her a little bit more. I, I think that what's changed here is that there there was a sense from before that while there was a promise of opposition research in those emails, which we've all read because Donald Trump Jr. released them back in, in uh, 2017, uh, there was definitely a discussion of opposition research. But there is this sense, and even from the president's comments last year that this meeting was still about adoption, was about the Magnitsky Act. So it's really a matter of what the express purpose was. And, and there are conversations, by the way, that Donald Trump Jr. had with uh, the organizer of the meeting, Eamon Agalarov, um, that were over phone. So we don't know exactly what was said in those conversations. So the upshot of that is the Trump team could go into this case if there is a, a case uh, they could argue to special counsel Robert Mueller uh, that this meeting was not just about opposition research, that it, it was also about policy. And I think that explanation has now gone out the window a little bit more than it had before, even as they have, you know, we've plainly seen that this is a meeting that was intended to at least be in part about the opposition research. So we've all got to wait and see how this is going to turn out. But the, where, where I where I currently, if I was going to guess, I think uh, old man Trump, the president, is wily enough to understand who he has to be honest with and, and the people he can lie to because he's been in a lot of different depositions and lawsuits and stuff in his life. But I could certainly see Trump Jr. having said something either knowingly or unknowingly that turns out to be false, and that could be a problem. I mean, because he, he's testified to Congress. You have to tell the truth to Congress, don't you? Yes, and and that's the question that we've we've been confronting for the last couple weeks here is, um, you know, when Michael Cohen came out and said that the president knew about the Trump Tower meeting in advance, which we don't know if that's the case or not, but uh, Donald Trump Jr. has testified. Uh, He most certainly was asked that question, and he has denied that publicly. So the question is, you know, did he make statements like that in his testimony that have been 
you know, disproven or could be disproven eventually if we find out that the president knew more about this meeting than he let on. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, I think, you know, there is, we reported this weekend, uh, the Washington Post did, about how the president seems to be increasingly concerned about his son's legal jeopardy coming from the Trump Tower case. That may not be necessarily about the idea of collusion. It could also be about a false statement that he made yeah. uh, to Congress while recounting that whole situation. So I think that's something that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. All right, fair enough. Aaron Blake of the Washington Post. Aaron, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So I thought we were... We we're barking more up the uh, the legal tree than the could be supporting evidence of a mood of deceit to the American people impeachmenty thing. Um, well, all you got to do is get a majority of Democrats who want to do that if they take back the House, right? And make oh, that argument. That's fine. That's entirely a political question. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wonder if it would happen. Boy, that would bring the country to a halt for a while. Oh yeah. Oh. Um, I couldn't you easily believe Trump Jr. said something that's not true to Congress, either on purpose or by accident, just because sure. he's not as good at this as his dad? Yeah, I think he's he may be better than you give him credit for, uh, but which uh, may or may not affect his ranking of Trumps. <laughs> by the way, I don't have any problem with Trump lying to people about. I think that's what politicians do. Sure. Oh no, the meeting was about this. Yeah. You get to say that. Uh, yeah. Then, yeah, that sort of thing happens all the freaking time. I mean, I wish it didn't, but it does. Um, uh, yeah, oh, pheromone parties. This is the new dating thing. If you haven't heard about pheromone parties, you have a dirty t-shirt ready. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.